0: The Bible contains great financial advice, and also answers questions of the. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're with us today. we are study the Bible with you, and hopefully you're ready to uh, sit down and learn a little bit about the Bible. Uh, each week on this program is take viewers' questions. And you'll find a website and a phone number on there at the bottom. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us. And we'll try to answer your question a little different than a lot of religious TV programs you might watch. Uh, We let you decide to talk about and try to give you quick, accurate answers from the Bible and answer your question that way. So you direct this program, log on or call and let us know what you want us to talk. We'll see if we can get to it as quickly as we can. Toby Levering's here. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Studied up and ready to go. I'm Steve Tandy, and we've got a uh, whole bunch of questions stacked up here, and we'll get just as many as we can possibly get today, but I'll give you one first, so let me do that. Who replaced Moses as leader of Israel? When Moses died at 120, uh, who took over as leader of Israel? And we'll give you that the end of the program. Looks like I drew the first question, so let me see if I figure out First John 5.16. Uh, in First John 5.16, what is the sin that leads to death? Well, let's read the verse first and uh, see what it is. And it uh, will include verse 17. John said, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, uh, he shall ask, and God will give him life. Uh, to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is seeds to death. I don't say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, sin that does not lead to death. All right, that's the verse. Uh, Ever since John wrote it, uh, maybe the people he wrote that to understood it, but ever since, uh, people have been wondering exactly what he's talking about. That's the only place this concept is really mentioned in the Bible. Uh, Some people, well, let me just give you options. Uh, Some people think it means the kind of sin that's so bad, uh, God kills you. And there are a few of those in the Bible. Remember Nadab and Abihu, strange fire on the altar, and God struck them dead. Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament uh, lied about their giving, and it was... At the time, so bad for the years that God struck them dead right there. So some people think, well, that's what he's talking about. If there's a sin that is so bad that it leads to God killing you, uh, you shouldn't pray for those kind of sins. The trouble is, you wouldn't know it until it happened. Mm-hmm. But uh, some people think it's a sin that you just keep doing until you die, a willful, unrepentant, continual <clears throat> sin. Uh, somebody that keeps on sinning and no matter what you tell them or try to reason with them or what the Bible says uh, they won't repent they just keep on doing it till death Uh, that kind of sin to death is the way people think about it so either one of those might be possible Uh, the trouble is we don't know those things I, I don't know I gotta admit what John meant here I think our best option is not to try to make that and give up on people. Uh, if we love them and they're alive, uh, we are looking that they'll come to repentance, that they'll see the light, that they'll understand and turn from their ways. And <clears throat> we can pray that. Uh, God won't do anything that's against us, so it's not going to hurt uh, to pray for them. And if it's a sin that leads to death, or that means, well... God won't forgive them that; He won't lead them to repentance. So, uh, I'm not means, but uh, practically for us, uh, I'd say you pray for anybody that uh, is sinning and you know about it, uh, and you want them to be saved. You go right ahead, pray for them.
1: All right. Uh, geogra- geography question: uh, Viewer wants to know is Ethiopia where the Bible started? Well, we really don't know where the Bible, or where the the creation, where the Garden of Eden is, and, and there's a reason for that. Uh, when you look at the creation story, it's easy to be confused. Genesis 2, uh, along in about verse 8 or so, talks about it being in the, and then it says that a river flowed out of it and separated into four rivers. And if you get a world map on it and kind of look around, you can quickly, hey, there's a place where it seems to match that description. Unfortunately, this is what we know as linear thinking, which is where you assume that everything's the same uh, and that the world's always been the same. We know that our world is in a constant state of flux and change, that the the, the way it was designed, it's been uh, designed to change even in our own lifetimes. One big event that happened uh, that we know of is the story in the Bible, Bible, and also in uh, other outside of the Bible account, is the story of the Great Flood, and that flood radically changed the landscape in ways that we don't probably even to this day fully understand. So, um have said, yeah, the Garden of Eden is uh, Ethiopia. Some have said it's Iraq or Turkey. All of these are just uh, speculation, really, at best. That's all it is. Uh, because the world is so different uh, today than it was at creation and especially because of the flood so no i mean it i suppose ethiopia is a possibility but we can't say with two uh, let's read second peter chapter three verses six as peter says worlds also the world of that time was deluged and destroy. So it's a different world than, than what we uh than what creation was than what it is today. Uh it's a possibility, but we don't know for sure.
0: Okay. Uh when your name goes in the book of life. When does your name go into the book of life? Question. Uh, the Bible does mention a book of life, uh, not a whole lot of times, and let's just read those two verses and then we'll see if we can make some conclusion. Uh, one is in Revelation 20 and 15, talking about the end of time, the last judgment. It says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the fire. Okay, so that tells us about the end of time, uh, when we get to find judgment. Uh, We want our name to be written in the book of life, and if it's not, we're going to the place. So uh, that's about all we know about it from that verse. And afterlife, but that doesn't help us with our viewers' question, who ask, When is it? Read one more Philippians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. Uh, Paul says, mentions women, and he says, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel to get Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of Okay, so now we're getting a little closer to knowing. Uh, we know it's not just the end of time, but during a person's life, Clement and the other workers and the women that, he says their names are in the book of life. Uh, they're saved is another saying. it Now, when their names got written in the book of life well doesn't say, but if it's the list of the saved, it would that they got their name written in the book of life when they were saved. So I think that's an inclusion we can make. Uh, when you enter into that relationship with God, when you come blood of Jesus, when you obey him in the gospel, uh, your name gets written in life. And other than that, the Bible doesn't give us any clue, doesn't tell us, so we can't say exactly how we don't even know what the book of life's like. I mean, we picture a, a huge judgment <laughs> because that's kind of old-timey God picture. Uh, he may have digitized everything by now. He may have it stored in the cloud. Who knows? Uh, That was a joke. Uh, So (laughs) we don't know what the book of life looks like, but it's heard of who's saved and God knows it, whether there's a physical book or not. All right, let me offer you a way to study the Bible. Uh, we study the Bible with you here each week, for it, but there's a whole lot more in the Bible than we'll ever get to in our lifetime or the next time. So uh, let me tell you a good way to study the Bible. There's some Bible tools that we have that we'll send you. Uh, this first one is one of our print courses that comes in. It starts with the Old Testament and the New Testament. Good basic overview of the Bible. And helps you understand your Bible. Once you get through that, and we've got some more advanced courses we're happy to send you. Uh, you can stay studying the Bible for quite a while with Know Your Bible tools. And those come to you in the mail. We pay the postage absolutely free of charge. And we also have an online course now that we're happy to offer you. Log on to OneWay.WorldBible.org, and you'll find out what that's about. Uh, different courses, but you can do them your phone, on your iPad, on your uh, PC, whatever you got them on online. So uh, we think that's a great new tool, and we hope you take us up on that. Instead in doing things digitally, so uh, offer your phone number and a website on the screen. Use those anytime. Just tell us you want a free course. Uh, go on to the World Bible School, and then go directly to the the digital one. So give us a gale. Let us get it started for you.
1: Okay. A viewer asked the question, what is your action of the two creation stories? I, I remember the very first time I ever heard the question, I uh, had a, a teacher in school who was saying to me, well, you know, I, I know you enjoy the Bible, and I carried it sometimes. I'd read it sometimes during breaks and stuff. And uh, she said, you know, I've never understood those two creation stories and i was shocked i've never heard of the idea of two creation stories and i had read genesis several times uh, and never caught it uh, but there is an idea that when you read the book of genesis there's two stories well there's there's really not it's just it's uh, just how you read them um, and so that's why it never jumped out to me because i uh understood and some some people some people say whoa this i thought i'd already read this so uh genesis chapter one verse one of course the well-known verse in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and then it goes to detail the creation account uh everything that god did in the six days of creation including the seventh day of rest and then in genesis chapter two it kind of jumps I thought we already covered this but it gives us in a little more detail it says this is the account of the heavens when they were created and talks about now that Lord had planted a garden in the east and there he put the man he had formed it goes on to to talk very specifically about the creation of and Eve. The the idea of two creation accounts is really just a misinterpret. Uh, what's happening here is the author is using a, a literary device where you have an overview of the event in in sort of a big picture uh, of it and then you go back and tell a specific detail about it, uh, all that's happening here. Uh, for, for example, uh, I might you might say, well, how was your, your weekend? I said, oh, it was great. My wife and I went on a date, and, and we went out to dinner, and we went to golf and went to watch a movie and had some ice cream at a local ice cream shop after that. It was a lot of fun. But about the movie, oh, man, yeah, that is unlike anything I've ever seen. Okay, well, we understand that. That's it. We kind of tell stories, and we talk about uh, true events that happen. We kind of give big, and we maybe focus on a specific. And that's all that's happening here in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1, big picture. Genesis 2 tells us about Adam and Eve. So there's no contradiction here. Common literary device. It's just a human way of, of describing things as we go from the general to specific. So I hope that's, that <laughs> helps you in your understanding of the creation account.
0: All right, because- Question about demons. Uh, I read about Jesus driving out demons. People actually have demons inside their body. Well, let me answer. They certainly did Uh, at one time. I'm confident of that because it makes that very clear. Uh, During Jesus' ministry on earth, uh, there were ones that possessed people or were inside people, sometimes more than one demon, and Jesus had power over them. He could cast them out, and the apostles needed that power. They could cast out demons, and then others, some could. So it actually happened. Now, I personally believe that that was a strange period of history uh, where God allowed demons That liberty could do that. They could possess people against their will uh, in order to show the power of Jesus. Uh, But we're not in that time now. Uh, We're in a time where we have some other promises that uh, really demons can't possess us against our will. Let's read one in James chapter 4 and verse 7. James said, "...submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil." And he'll from you. So resist him and he'll flee. That means if I'm resisting the devil, that no demon's going to possess my body because distance makes him flee. Uh, so I don't think demons can puzzle against their will anymore. Now, can they enter in to take over people's lives in some way? I won't say they can't because the spiritual world is not very well understood by us. The world is a serious battle, and we're told to stay away from it, not with the things of the occult and talking to the dead and uh, messing with Satanism in any way. We're told to avoid that. Uh, what demons can, if somebody welcomes them in, or spends too much time mentally with them, I don't know. Uh, I think it's possible. I've been in some situations where I thought somebody probably had been in them. But the Bible just doesn't talk about it much. It just says to Christians, reasonable and He'll flee from you. He's not going to suddenly possess you one day and make you do what you can't. However, if you fool around with occultism and Satanism and all that stuff and associate with people that believe it, uh, I'm not sure what will happen and what's too dangerous to even have any interest in. So so stay away from it. So answers the question in some part. Let me talk uh, about a good, uh, uh, let me invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, We'd like to talk about a couple each week, which is a crash keep us on the air and help us provide this program for you. Uh, Today, let's mention in central Kansas, south-central Kansas, Sylvia and Isabel, uh, both of the fine... Uh, churches and Congregations of the Church of Christ uh, would welcome you at time. If you're looking for a home church or if you uh, need something in that community, contact the folks of Sylvia Church Christ, of Christ, the Isabel Church of Christ, uh, good partners of ours here at Noga. Uh, you'll find a group of people there that think <coughs> and study the Bible a lot like we do your Bible, and you'd be warmly welcomed. Of course, whatever market you're watching in, there's the Church Christ near you, and if you're looking for a, a group of people that honor the Bible and study, uh, go visit the Church of Christ somewhere near you. We're glad they help us stay on the air. All right, Toby, what's okay. yours?
1: I have a question about the, the Sabbath and Sunday and all that works together. Sunday is supposed to be a day of rest. What about working after a t- church? if it is a job requirement? Well, we get this question fairly early because it comes from a misunderstanding. Uh, people confuse Sunday, the first day of the week, with the Sabbath, which was an Old Testament uh, Jewish celebration uh, of the seventh day of the week. Uh, would be Saturday. And so keep people get those confused. Uh, people just use the terms kind of interchangeably. That creates some misunderstanding. And some problems because they think, well, uh, you know, the, the Christian Sabbath Sunday is really not. Uh, and the, the, you know, Christians under the new covenant have different, th- uh, do things differently than the Jews did under the uh, The Sabbath command, the, the idea of resting and having a day of rest, found in Exodus chapter 20. It was a directive given by God to the Israel people. Uh, it was, of course, even began all the way back in the creation. God called the seventh day holy. He he observed it to to commemorate the work that God has done to be a day of rest. So, um, under the that command, that directive is not repeated anywhere. Uh, for Christians, uh, we don't observe the Sabbath. Now, I think the principle of resting is fine. Uh, good from resting from work and resting from normal activity uh, to focus on the Lord. Those good thing to do. Um, but uh, under the new covenant, Christians worship on the week resurrection day. And um, that's different, of course, than the Sabbath. So uh, if a person wants to observe the Sabbath and wants to uh, uh, do anything and not work, and there are people who do that, I, I suppose that's fine to do. But it's certainly a biblical requirement, and you shouldn't judge people who don't observe that. Uh, uh, in fact, the scripture is quite clear about that. Now, you ask about working after church, and that's a different subject. We're moving from now the seventh day of the week day of the week. Uh, and your question is, can we work on Sunday? The um, answer is you can. Uh, In fact, I sometimes will joke with people, they say, well, I'm sorry I couldn't be at work. And I say, I understand, I work every Sunday too. Uh, Steve works a lot of Sundays. There's a lot of people who work on Sundays, police officers and doctors and uh, firefighters, people at the emergency room. Uh, Life has to continue even on Sunday. The principle of worshiping the Lord has to do with your personal, priorities we should make it our goal to worship the lord we should make it our to be with other christians as often as we can uh, and the reason for that is not a legalistic you know i've checked my card or I've, uh, I've checked off my list or i've punched my card because it's good for us god understood that worship uh, does something within us and for us when we meet together with other Christians worshiping the Lord in spirit and uh, we grow we're built up we encourage one another and those are that's a good thing so uh, worship is should be a priority and if if you work a job where they require you to work every Sunday uh, maybe that wouldn't be a job to remain in long term But there are lots of people who have to work every now and again or do meet other obligations. Uh, And I totally believe the Lord that he certainly wants us to worship as often as we can uh, because it's good for us. It's what it's worship is really all about. So uh, if you've got a job and you've got a uh, work after you attend church I think that's fine um, but the point is God on the first day of your week shows that he's the first priority and it, it really aligns your heart to the promises of his word uh, It aligns your soul by worshiping him who created and it builds you and other Christians up so I uh, <clears throat> hope you're able to do that let's look at Hebrews chapter and 23 and, and following let us hold unswervingly to the hope, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So next time you have the opportunity to worship, I hope that you'll do so. It'll be good for you, and, and that's what the Lord wants for you.
0: All right. Uh, question about the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, is the bread actual Christ's body and the fruit of the vine actually his blood? All right. Uh, and that question comes about because Jesus instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. It says he took the cup and says, is my blood. Uh, he took the bread and said, this is my body. Some people... Have a doctrine, and uh, the Catholic Church, uh, in the most part, uh, is the one that teaches transubstantiation, that least blesses the bread and the fruit of the vine, that they physically become the body and blood of Christ, and our senses can't recognize it, but they actually are the body and blood of Christ. Now, The other extreme belief about this, the other is that no, it's purely symbolic. Jesus was just saying, this represents my body, and this uh, juice represents my blood. Uh, In between, there's a doctrine that it it spiritually becomes the spiritual presence of the body and blood of Jesus is there, but the emblems don't become body and blood. Now, uh, I tell you all that to say the argument about it. Not everybody understands it exactly the same or teaches it exactly the same. Uh, I personally believe Jesus was just making a metaphor uh, like he did a lot of things. He took the bread and said, this represents my body. This is my, and the juice, this is my blood, represents my blood. And you keep reading. He says it a lot. He says, I am the vine. Nobody thinks he's physically a vine. I'm poor, I'm the uh, bread. He, he said all those things, but it didn't mean he was physically under a door. He says Christians are salt and light. We don't physically become salt and light. That's a metaphor for what he was talking about. Um, so, no, they physically become body and blood of Christ, but the, the presence of christ in some way and we should treat it that way and we're expected to respect it that way
1: okay a question about genealogies this, this is some part that some folks just kind of go over and gloss over but this is a good question if mary was a virgin why do matthew and luke trace this lineage through joseph his blood would not be a factor well the short of that is that um uh, Mary, M- excuse me. Matthew follows the line of, which was J- Jesus's legal father. Joseph would not obviously have been his Bible father, but uh, legally would have been considered his father. And so, a difference. Luke gives Mary's genealogy. Uh, that's a bit unusual, but then again, so was a virgin birth, uh, which was prophesied about. So, Matthew, the line of Joseph which is again Jesus's legal father all through David Solomon while Luke follows the line of Mary uh, all the way through David's son and so those it's important to understand the difference the genealogy shows Jesus human heritage and his holy heritage through both Mary's line and Joseph's line both ways Jesus would have been considered a descendant of David and therefore L to be Messiah let's look at Matthew or excuse me Luke 3:23. now Jesus himself was about first old when he began his ministry he was the son so it was thought of joseph son of heli so i hope that helps us understand the difference in the genealogies and what all righty
0: thank you let's answer our trivia question who replaced moses as leader real That was a fellow named joshua and the famous story of joshua and the walls go and all that he was the one So that was his replacement. We're glad you've been with us today and hope others helped you understand the Bible a little bit better. We're going to be back next week to try to answer some more of them. You're here with us as we answer questions. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been for the churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal in New Testament Christianity, we follow the Bible as our only guide. Ask with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.